This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a lively conversation that I had with Carlos Whitaker. He is an author, a podcaster, a global speaker. I've seen him speak in person. He's got a brand new book out called How to Human, Three Ways to Share Life Beyond What Distracts, Divides, and Disconnects Us. And I thought this makes a lot of sense to talk about on a productivity podcast. Why? Because I know personally how much productivity I lost during the pandemic in the past few years. Paying too much attention to the news, spending too much time on social media, being disconnected and distracted based on world events or splintered relationships or just things you would see or do or lack of normalcy to do our regular routines and rituals that we would do with our family and our friends that would ground us and keep us human and open and able to have conversations that were productive. And I don't just mean in the work productive type sense. I mean in the productive sense of, hey, go do something productive. Go do something worthwhile, in other words. And so I just thought this is a really good book to dive into that a bit. And in this conversation, we talk about the three ways to human, according to Carlos, and we break down into subcategories and sub bullet points and et cetera, all the things that spawn from those three things. A lot of practical things that you could take away here. If you've been feeling less than human lately, this is a conversation for you. I know that it didn't just give me more hope, which it did, but it also gave me more of a a possibility path towards doing some more of these relational things. So I will just get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Carlos Whitaker. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Carlos Whitaker. Carlos, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List. Eric, I'm beyond the to-do list. I already feel like I've accomplished everything in life just by being on the show. I got to say, we've rescheduled this a little bit. This is a little behind the scenes here. I don't think I've ever recorded a podcast after five o'clock my time on a Friday afternoon. But for you, I'm making it happen. And it kind of fits the vibe, doesn't it? It's like, no, we're just, it works done. Now we're just chilling, right? Now we're just chilling. It, you know, fits the vibe of just messy humanity in the middle of guys that are trying to, you know, be as productive as they can. But sometimes, Things just end up like this, 5 p.m. on a Friday afternoon, you know, like here we are, just two bald dudes in front of their microphones with their beards, just chatting it up. Gray in the beards, by the way. I'm going to throw that in there, too. Gray in the beards. Absolutely. Month by month. With big microphones and big headphones. Like, I just feel very simpatico right now. So, oh, man, I couldn't help but think that this was going to be a really fun conversation to have with you because you got this brand new book out called How to Human 
Yes. And then a big old long subtitle like every book deserves to have these days. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Three ways to share life beyond what distracts, divides, and disconnects us. And it's not a business book like is normally showing up on here, these shows, these conversations, but that subtitle, actually the proper title and the subtitle all just roped me in and just thought, you know what? This is a book for this time and we've got to have this conversation. So, dude, that's awesome. Thanks, man. Well, speaking of the, the subtitle, I laugh because I remember when my editor sent me the sub, I mean, I don't write that subtitle. He did. And uh, he's like, Hey, uh, so I think this is it. Three ways to share life beyond what distracts, divides and disconnects us. And I was like, man, that sounds like a bumper sticker. Like, like this is going to take work. You know, p- uh, hopefully people, and it's been funny because people are like, man, Carlos, like I read your book and I, I thought it was going to be three ways to share life beyond what distracts, divides and disconnects us. And I guess it was, but that's hard. You know, I was like, yeah, actually it is like, it's not like going to be easy, you know? And so I do, although I appreciate the subtitle, it definitely takes some digging to get there. Right. Well, and you know what? That's the rewarding part. This isn't an easy book to read. It's in your face. You're telling stories, you're sharing sermon notes, basically, and you are telling the truth, you know, and your truth and all our truth. Like, here's the thing, like, you know, and I want to ask you, you know, what kind of led you to feel like this message, this topic at this time. But I think, you know, we're all kind of on the same page right now. And I don't mean we're all on the same page, like in agreement, we're all on the same page as in like, we're all on the same page in this moment of history together. And we've been forced to reckon with that and, you know, see that foreshadowing a little bit more than we ever have before. Absolutely. You know, we, gosh, man, and I share in the book that, you know, if you even just say 2020 to anybody, there's a visceral reaction that, that just, you know, it, it may show up in their face. It may just be the goosebumps on their arms. Like it just is like almost a cuss word. Like nobody, you know, no, nobody wants to talk about it. You want to skip right over it or go uh, way before it. And I just remember, you know, I think during 2020, I was in the middle of, of having really messy, heavy, uh, conversations about race and justice and all the things on my socials and on all the stages I spoke on. And so it just, it was really heavy, but I remember being like, no, this is like, I'm, I got to fight for this justice and yada, yada, yada. And then like, I guess it was probably February of 2021. And that's when I was like, man, I'm tired. Like I'm tired of looking at other people like they are the enemy. I'm tired of like splitting humanity in half and being like half of y'all are knuckleheads and half of us figure it out, you know, like, And I was like, there needs to be a conversation about how we do this again. Like, how do we get back to, and maybe we've never even been there, but how do we get to the place where we can human together well again, right? Like we can, we can do the human thing well. We can have disagreements well. We can end relationships well. We, all the things that we weren't doing well for two straight years, I thought it was time for us to try to remember how to do it well again. So, you know, I am in no way, shape or form the expert on doing it well, but I did the work to where I think I uncovered some, some tools that can give us handlebars, maybe not even tools, handlebars on how we can really grab a hold of this thing and maybe try to recalibrate getting bumped off course a little bit the last few years. 
Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I'm glad you kind of said, Hey, not necessarily a getting back to, because I think that's part of the problem is we, we talk about all these past moments as like perfect embers and, you know, it, it's frozen in ember. It's Jurassic Park. You know, it was perfect then. And we have to get back to that. And we got to strive to that. And it's just like, you know what? Just keep turning the history pages back further. And you just see like, you know, I mean, we were talking, you know, in the past three years or since 2016 or since 2008 or, you know, 9-11 and right. pick a date. We've all been divided and yet at the same time, not as divided as we think we are. We can buy into narratives and, you know, things we see, hear, believe, et cetera, and insulate ourselves with like-minded people and not see others. And we'll get to that. But yeah, living by algorithms, in other words, <laughs> in a way. And and we are like, like we've, all it is now is we just have access to more information. I mean, that that's literally the the only difference, literally, where we just know more about each other than we ever maybe were even supposed to know. So, you know, like even to simplify some of that, I think can can bring some some balm to our soul. Man, I'm glad you said that. It's not even just that we have more information and that we know more about each other. I think it's that we know more less important things about each other, right? We're not truly knowing somebody through a screen or through a touch screen or whatever. It can help. It gives us glimpses. They're snapshots, but like that's not having a real conversation. No, no, it, it's not. And it's, it's actually not even having a conversation. I try to tell people all the time, like, I don't care if you go back 20 times in a comment section with somebody else. It's actually not a true conversation. Like a conversation, there has to be breath and you have to be able to like feel the wind in the other person's, you know, coming out of their mouth in order for it to be a true conversation. Like it's not. So yeah, I think we fool ourselves into believing that, you know, these six inches of LCD that we hold in our hands every day is truly being human. And it's, it's just not. Yeah. I think that, you know, some people are thinking, okay, so what does this have to do with like a practical application of the word productivity or some kind of, you know, again, I use that title for the show to have these long arms to like reach out and grab all these different topics and things and how they apply. And for me, I'll just be honest, I'll bear my soul for a second here. Give me 30 seconds in a soapbox or a podcast mic. And I'll just say like, during the past three years, the pandemic really kind of put our lives under a microscope and zoomed in. And we realized that it wasn't all about how much time we were spending on work or how much time that we were spending online and prioritizing and checking our emails and, you know, structuring our schedules the right way that we were missing, especially when we had to lock down and to varying degrees do different things in a way we'd never thought of and think about things we never had to think of. Yeah. Isolation, loneliness, lack of connection, disconnection from family, whether that was from physical space or on the flip side of that, trapped with our family because right, we had right, to right. be, uh, you know, how to not just deal with it, but like seek out found family and real community, not just local, but like true living, breathing interaction, not just with like shared interests, but just right. taking care of each other. And that yeah. that connection is a necessity, no matter whether you're an introvert or an extrovert or shy or outgoing or whatever, add all the other different viewpoints into the mix, Yeah, that that was something that we all truly were, that we were human and we needed connection. And so as I'm going through it, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's kind of a, not whiplash, but like a, 
I don't know, just a flashback. It's like a lost flashback to time on the island. And it's like, totally we're stuck. we have to go back. <laughs> well, you know, and we do, we have to, we have to, you know, as hard as it is to go back and remember some of that stuff. I mean, I get that from so many people that have read the book. It's like, man, Carlos, like it was really uncomfortable. I don't think I want to remember some of that stuff. I don't think, you know, like, let's just look ahead. But I feel like in order to heal ahead, we've got to look backwards. We've got to look back at the collective trauma that we went through. And, you know, and again, like the book isn't just all about 2020. You know, I go to back to different spaces, but I do believe that just like you said, there was something in what we went through together that really shook the core of our humanity, shook the core of, I mean, we were all, we're all pandemic rookies. Everyone's acting like they knew what they were doing. Nobody knew what they were doing. We were all trying to figure it out. And I mean, that's the first time ever in any of our lives that we had to like, as a planet, figure out something together like that. And so I think there were some beautiful things that came out of it. I mean, I say all the time that like my family, I know this wasn't the case and we're blessed that none of us got extremely ill during the pandemic. But, you know, I remember those six, seven weeks of lockdown is like for us, you know, I live in Tennessee, right? So like Tennessee, they didn't even think COVID happened here, right? So here we were locked down, but we're like taking walks together as a family and we're like playing board games every night. And my teenagers who normally I probably wouldn't have even seen their senior year of high school, suddenly we had all this accelerated family time that, you know, there was some beautiful things in humanity that was able to come out of it. But I do think that we do need to be recalibrated and maybe just realigned back to maybe trying to, we can, this is a great time to purposely figure out how we do this again, right before two years before an, another election. Let's get ourselves ready. Let's get our tool belts ready. And when, when it gets time for your aunt Nancy that posts that thing on Facebook that drives you freaking crazy, maybe you can have some tools in the belt that doesn't destroy your relationship. <laughs> man, how did you know I have an aunt Nancy? There you go. There you go. We all do. <laughs> oh man. So in the book you talk about, and it's kind of alluded to in the subtitle life beyond what distracts, divides and disconnects us. And there's kind of a, a correlating almost word for each of those things in the book. It's the three things and it's B, C and free. They alliterate, but they're not like all this. They don't all start with the same letter, which is great. I love that you kind of broke that up, went different from other people. Let's talk a little bit about B because I know that, you know, some people are going to be shook by the title saying, you know, how to human and think, wait, you should have said how to be human. Right. But, uh, right. Right. Yeah. No, the human, we're using human as the verb here. And so how do we be truly who we were created to be? Right. Like I, I do believe, you know, I'm a man of faith. A lot of people that follow me aren't, but they know that that is part of who I am. So that is part of who I am being when I'm being who I'm supposed to be. And, you know, I really try to get people to realize that there's parts of us that we're ashamed of. There's parts of us, uh, of our story that we're ashamed of that maybe we've tried to hide for a long time. I go into the depths of my story, not all my stories, but some of them that I tried to hide from my friends and my family for far too long. And once I invited those parts of me back into my life and back into my story, and I was able to be like a hundred percent who I am as opposed to just 80% of who I am. Gosh, like that, that is the most important, I believe foundational piece of, of how to human is you've got to be fully you first before, you know, cause it goes into be human, see humans and free humans before we can see anybody else, before we can free anybody else, we've got to figure it out on our own. And listen, for me, I mean, that's taken a lot of therapy 
That's taken a lot of inner healing. That's taken a lot of me looking at parts of myself and my story I've not wanted to look at. But this first section of the book really is about that reconnection with who maybe a lot of us, you know, I think of, of the people that listen to your podcast, you know, if they're productivity nerds, if they're entrepreneurs, if they're people that are like, you know, I, I'm one of those people, right? And so like, I know that my identity can suddenly get wrapped up in a lot of other things besides what it really needs to be in. So it's like, oh, no, you know, people are going to see me as the the author with four books and, you know, all the things that kind of got me there. It's like, actually, no, like, what if all that stuff went away? Who am I going to be? So the, it's just a, a foundational piece of the of the puzzle is being human, slowing down like removing more distractions that we have in our lives. And, you know, for guys like us that love things that distract us, you know, (laughs) we may not think that when we're doing it, they distract us, but I think we can all be fair and say that, yes, a lot of these tools that we use for business and for, you know, at least for me, like all of my little systems and Evernotes and all the things that I use before, like they can become a really big distraction to being even being productive sometimes gets in the way of being human, you know, for, Again, I'm, I'm just kind of poking the bear when talking to your listeners, but like, how, how about this? How about Carlos saying like, hey, wh- what if you're actually not being as human as you can be because you are so productive? What if being human is slowing down, lowering the volume of life? All of those things, I think, can help us get there, get to being. Slowing down is productive. It is. Yes. We've believed that myth, right? Yeah. Oh, one of the things that, you know, I, again, I don't want to keep going back to pandemic time, but one of the things that I think really brought to a higher level of awareness out of the depths of our subconscious was this concept of being because we're so wrapped up in doing instead of being. And we equate what we've done and what we do and, you know, who we're doing it with as our identity instead of who we really are and who we were made to be and who we're striving to dig deeper to that who we were made to be as we're on our journey, you know, and the slowing down starts to, oh, wait. I don't know that I like this part of me or that thing that happened to me, that trauma, that, you know, that story, that part of the journey. And I don't really want to think about that anymore. Can I scroll past that real quick on my phone? Right. Absolutely. You you know, I I went to this seven day experiential therapy kind of treatment center in 2010 called Onsite. And we're all in um, groups of 12. It was seven days. So every day we'd have like experiential kind of role-playing therapy in our groups, right? We're all trying to work past issues in our lives. But one of the first things that they told us day one, so there was like 60 people in the, the week-long thing, you're allowed to say your first name, but you're not allowed to say what you do. And I was like, oh, it's kind of interesting. Like, you know, so for seven days, I'm in this room with Pam, Jack, John, And I know the depths of their secrets and stories. And like, we are like doing work on our inner child. And, but I didn't know what they did. And the reason why is because they said very specifically, just like you said, we don't want you to be a human doing. We want you to be a human being. And so many times when someone's like, Hey, like, who are you? We say what we do. And it was just beautiful to get to know people like deeper than probably any of their closest friends do and not know a thing. So at the end of the week, we actually went around in a circle and we guessed what everybody else did. And so like, I thought like this lady, Connie, I thought she was like a, I'm not kidding you. I thought she was a New York socialite, like her story and like 
I was like, you are just filthy rich. You live in a penthouse. You're in New York. And she's like a librarian in like New Brunswick, Ohio. <laughs> I just was like, oh my gosh. But isn't that so beautiful? Like we got to know the, like who they were, like be human. We got to see them for that. And, uh, you know, I, anyway, I remembered that when you mentioned the doing versus the being thing. That's so awesome. Yeah. yeah. So ultimately the point I'm making here is that it's just, we've habitualized ourselves into overstimulation, whether that's, you know, constant TV watching or screen scrolling or, you know, and even during the day we're looking at screens because we're like, well, I have to, it's my job. We justify it. I know you've done the math on this with the phone time. Like, what is it again? Like on an average of a week, it's like what? So I'm eight hours a day, seven to eight hours a day on my phone because I say it's my job because I'm an Instagrammer, right? So I got to be making videos. And so that's 49 hours a week. That's three months a year. And if I live to be 79 years old, which hopefully I'll live a lot longer than that, I will spend nine years of my life staring at my phone. The average American spends five and a half hours a day. So you're only going to spend seven years of your life instead of nine. Okay, great job. Round of applause. I I don't want to think of it in terms of years at the end of my life ever, but apparently I it's going to happen and that's not okay. That's not okay now. So on my deathbed, it's like, I wish yeah. I'd spent more time on anyway. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing talking about B, what are some of the ways? I mean, obviously self-discovery, self-acceptance, there are different ways to go about it. You know, we've had Ian Cron talk about the Enneagram on the show before, but self-awareness is great. But like, what are ways that we can be? You've broken those down into different chapters. Yeah. You know, like in there, you know, I talk about being compassion, right? So like, that's a piece that is, you know, it is difficult for a certain type of individual to feel like they've got, you know, a lot of compassion, but I feel like it's so important for us to do that, to literally like to be compassionate. I think I've got, I actually have my book in front of me so I can remember my chapters, but we, I've got be love, be compassion, be you, be wonder. We've lost so much wonder in the day and age that we're at. And like, there's so much humanity in wonder, right? So, I mean, again, I don't know how old you are, but so I'm 49 years old and I just rewind back to my childhood in the eighties. And I think like, man, the wonder that I had is completely gone. Like I would wonder about, okay. So like Michael Jackson, like I just wondered, like, uh, like, I, I don't know. Like if someone were to say like, I don't know, where's Michael Jackson live? Nobody knew. Because we couldn't Google it, right? We just wondered, you know, we've forgotten how to wonder. You know, you think of, I don't know if I talk about it in this book or in my last book, but I just talk about like how we don't get lost anymore as humans. There used to be a day where I think that was actually part of the human condition to get lost and to find our way. Well, now we've got freaking Siri just telling us where to turn left, where to turn right. So uh, another thing that I do on a weekly basis to be human I don't put directions in. I look at a map on my phone before I go somewhere and then I just try to remember and I get there. And it is so fun. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what it feels like to get lost. Wait, do I go north here? Do I go south? You know, and then like that is part of being human and we've lost touch with those things. You know, remember MapQuest? We used to have to like print out directions like on a printer before we went somewhere and then we're looking at the MapQuest as we're going. Those are the pieces of being human that I think we have to like intentionally go back to, I mean, again, more handlebars, real simple. I've charged my phone in the living room now. And I, next to my bed, I bought this thing called an alarm clock. It's the craziest thing. You can order it on Amazon. All it does is plug into my wall and make a really annoying sound in the morning to wake me up. And it tells me the time I don't like stare at it for two hours before I go to bed. Like I did my phone. Right. So like, what are little things you can do to get back to being human again? Oh, there are so many different ways to jump into this being 
part of it in the book. But I definitely want to make sure we spend some time on the next one, which is see and seeing. This is, I think there's a little bit of internal seeing in the B section for sure. But I think C is very much like an outward, like, okay, where am I and who am I with and what am I seeing? And I think that, uh, This is one that really came to play again, back to the pandemic. This is one of those things where it's like, again, we were seeing through screens. We were seeing, unless we were immediately with people, we were seeing through lenses, basically. Yeah. And we were seeing through not only veils, but we were seeing through opinions and we were seeing through our own biases. So suddenly we're we're seeing people really through I mean, if you think about if we go back to 2020, even though we're seeing people on screens, we're literally seeing people like through binoculars, right? Like, so like if you ever try to see anything through binoculars, like if I like put some on right now and I looked at my neighbor's tree, two houses down, if there's a squirrel on a branch and I see it right now without the binoculars, if I put on the binoculars, even though I'm looking the exact same place, it's going to take me five freaking minutes to find that squirrel with the binoculars on. Why? Well, because like, although you can see a lot closer with binoculars, it takes a long time to get there. And once I finally find the squirrel, if it jumps a foot to the left, dang it, I'm screwed now, right? And suddenly, like, I'm looking in. And that's how we were actually seeing people in 2020 through our phones, through these binoculars that we thought we were getting the whole picture, but it was really hard to do it. So what I try to do is help people in the book, like, hey, let's put down the binoculars. Let's put down the phones. And let's start seeing people, like, face to face. Let's move close to them. Like, proximity is vital in truly seeing somebody. You know, you you have someone who's like going off in your DMs or in a comment section or your Aunt Nancy or whoever, you know, whoever we're talking about here. You're never going to truly see them online. Truly, you just aren't. Like you're going to have to put down whatever device it is and get face to face. And it is so hard. It's so hard to to paint the picture of who we think they are when we're face to face with them. You know, it, it just is. And so... Yeah, that seeing piece is probably where the rubber starts meeting the road a little bit in the book. And I start to maybe press on a little bit of toes, push some buttons like, hey, man, what's it going to take for you to actually see people that don't look like you, don't vote like you, don't love like you, like all of these things that are like super hot topics. Yeah, we, we've got to see them, too. So I hope that I accomplish the task of helping people navigate how to do that a little bit better. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays? What about selling with Shopify? 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to shopify magic your ai powered all-star sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond again go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think this is an appropriate time to bring up the saying that you've got where you don't stand on issues, you walk with people. And I just, I've got to keep repeating that to myself because I try, I try to human that way. I try to see that way. And I, I think there are things that come up where I just kind of knee jerk react to. And then I've got to really, oh, no, 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 wait, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they think differently because one, I could change my mind. I hope I do, but like, it's a person. It's a person first and an opinion second. Yes. Yes. All of the compassion that we have inside of us is right, right on the other side of our opinions. The opinions get in the way of compassion so often. And, and you know, the phrase that I say, and I learned it from a friend of mine named Mike Ashcroft. Uh, he's a pastor in South Carolina. He, I just remember he told me like 15 years ago, I said, where do you stand on this issue? He's like, I, I don't, I don't stand on issues, man. I walk with people. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. Wow, what does that mean? Like, how do you do that? And it just became the way that I wanted to live because I realized, just like you said, every single issue is actually a person. And so, you know, I walk with them. So when people ask me, hey, Carlos, what's your opinion on this? Where do you stand on this? It is my go-to line. And it's not, it isn't a bumper sticker. Like, it's hard to do. And again, I'm having to walk with people that, man, like I vehemently disagree with with a lot of things, but I'm not just going to make my mind up based on a couple podcast episodes and what my favorite news anchor tells me to believe. I've got to walk with them in order to truly, and guess what? If I walk with them and I don't change my mind, that's not the purpose of walking with them. The purpose of walking with them isn't to turn your back on your values. It's to turn your heart towards them. And that's just it. That's what I'm trying to help people with is yeah, walk with people, walk with people, see people, see people, but don't see them through a telescope or binoculars you know, you're actually going to have to walk up to them in order for that to happen. Yeah. You you share so many different stories in the book about just you're friends with somebody, but their view is this and you're, you don't say where you fall on a spectrum of belief when it comes to that thing, but you just right. kind of say, we don't disagree, but we're friends. And yes. I just love hearing that over and over again. There's one story that I really in particular liked, and it kind of grabbed me where you walk across the street to a neighbor and it's it's the bunny story. I thought maybe that would be fun to tell here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's a it's a see people story, right? It's a story yeah. where 
I had to get close to somebody in order to truly see them. I'd been looking at them through my binoculars, uh, quote unquote, not really because that's kind of creepy, but it was summer 2020, man. I was in the middle of teaching every day on race and racial bias and like helping, you know, the white community that follows me and trusts me walk with people that look like me every day. And so, I mean, I was tired, man. Like it, it was like George Floyd had just happened. There were marches happening everywhere and I was tired. And so here I am in my neighborhood and, you know, people are still pretty much at home at this point. And all my neighbors, like I'm friends with, like I've become friends and we lived in the South a few years by this point, but there was this one just kind of old crotchety white dude that lived across the street from me. And he, he lived by himself unless he, you know, had his wife hostage in there. I've never seen her in a few years. So I would just see him every day coming in and out. And I tried my hardest to like be friends with this guy. Like I'd like smile now again, not be friends, but just acknowledge him. I'd smile at him, wave at him when we get our mail together. Literally, we're standing like 12 feet apart from each other. I'd wave and say hi. He'd never wave back. He'd never look at me. And I just thought, oh, this, my reality of living in the South as a black man and this old white dude that had his big American flag on his front door, I had a bias built up against him because of the real stories that had happened to me. Now, the reason why is because out of the, I don't know how many times, 12 times or so that I'd been called the N-word, here in the Nashville vicinity over the last decade, every single time the dude that had called me that had looked just like my neighbor. Like they were old, they were white, and they had an American flag on their torso or their bumper, their truck or something. So although I like old dudes, I like white dudes, I like American flags, the three of them mixed together triggered me, right? So here I was, I built a story over years that this is just a racist dude that doesn't like me. And so here we are, summer 2020. I haven't talked to this guy ever. He walks out of his front door and he's got a can of paint. And I was like, it was kind of weird. Why is he walking into his yard with paint? And right in the middle of the yard, he had these two porcelain bunnies, you know, like the kind of like little statues. Kind of like gnomes. Other people have gnomes and things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And your grandma has in her backyard, right? Like, like those kind of things. So he kneels down in front, in front of the two bunnies and he takes his paintbrush out and he kneels down and starts painting one of them. And I was like, oh, it's kind of weird. And he's painting it. He's painting it black. And I was like, okay, so it must be like old man paint your bunny black day. Like, I don't know what's happening. It's just weird. Whatever. So he finishes painting it. And I'm ready for him to paint the other one. And I'm just watching him from my little port swing. But he doesn't paint the other one. He just puts the paintbrush back in the paint can and he gets up and he goes inside. I was like, why in the world did he do that? So I, I called my wife out. And I was like, babe, look, like weird old white dude just painted one of those bunnies black. Why do you think he did that? And she goes, well, why don't you go ask him? And I was like, oh, well, there's a thought, but I don't want to because I don't, why would I do that? Right. And I was like, wait a second. Here's the whole see human piece. Here's the whole put off your binoculars and walk across face to face with someone. So the next day I see him out. I can't remember what he's doing, but I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So I started like, I, I hit roll on my phone, like camera and started recording because 2020 I'm recording any interactions with white dudes. And so like, I'm, I'm recording it. I uh, walk across the street and I'm like, Hey man. My name's Carlos. I live across the street. As if he didn't know, you know, we say stupid things when we're nervous, but I was like, I live across the street and he stops and he smiles as big as ever. And he's like, well, hi there. My name's James. I've only lived here since 1960, whatever. And I was like, oh my gosh, like he's already in a matter of seconds, smashing every storyline that I had written in my head because I chose to walk across and see him. So I asked him, well, James, like, why'd you paint your bunny black? And I'll just never, never forget. He's like, well, with everything that's going on in the country, you know, my parents, they hired a black woman when I was a little kid. She was a servant and she taught me how to make my bed, brush my teeth, 
read and write. She taught me everything. And I can't imagine anyone thinking any differently about her than they do about me. So this is just kind of my way of softly saying what I believe and that your life matters. And I just remember, man, like my jaw was probably just gaping open, bugs probably in my mouth at this point, because I'm like, what just happened? Like everything I believed about this dude was completely wrong. And all it took was me walking 12 feet across the street. And I just, I started to apply that to all parts of my life and just thinking, how many other people have I painted stories about that I haven't walked 12 feet to actually find out and see them, see who they are? So yeah, I mean, that was that story. It changed my life. You know, the video ended up going viral because I asked him the next morning, I was like, hey, so I just want to let you know, like I secretly recorded you while we were, you know, <laughs> And, and I was like, I posted on my uh, Instagram and he's like, what's Instagram? And I was like, oh, just some people that follow me. He's like, yeah, well, the video like ended up going viral and like he was on the news and like we had all these like inside edition was here. He was like, like, dude, I'm just trying to live my best retired life. But uh, it was awesome, man. And yeah, it's, it's a great sea human story. That's awesome. I love hearing that story at just... I've heard you tell it a couple different times and I'm thinking just, man, the way that that, I want to say this, the important thing isn't that, well, there's two, there's two important things. One is you got out of your comfort zone, which I know that's a trite kind of statement, but like you allowed yourself, you forced yourself even, dare I say, you listened to your wife. That can be uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> you walked across the street because she said so. She brought up like, why don't you go ask him? And it's like, how yeah. dumb do we feel when we don't even think to like, well, that was obvious. Seriously. Yes. So one lesson is listen to your wife. Number two, yeah. go across the street and get uncomfortable and talk with people in proximity. Yes. But then the other piece is really just you had this story in your head. This is John Acuff soundtracks book all over again. You had this story written and you went over and you found out you were listening to the wrong song. Listening to the wrong song. I had the wrong record on the record player. It was all wrong. And it was actually the more beautiful than I ever thought that the soundtrack was actually playing. If I would have just freaking walked across the street, I would have realized it, but I never did, you know? And so, yeah. And I want to, I want to also say this, like, I know that as easy as it is for me to tell that story and as easy as it is for me to be like, just walk across the street, man, just 12, 12 steps, like go, go see somebody. I know that it was six years of me living here before I did that. So like, like I know that it's not truly just something you can just do, but maybe it's going to be taking hearing this conversation with you and me for one of your listeners to go, okay, this, this was the push that I needed. I'm going to go do it. Uh, yeah. And then, and then DM us and let us know, like, what soundtrack did change? What, what story did change? And how, how did you find a little bit of freedom because you saw somebody differently than you thought? It's the, uh, the what about Bob baby steps, baby yes. steps to four o'clock. Oh, uh, anyway, C to serve is one of my favorite things in, in oh, the, yeah. the C section because I just can't help but think that like that, once you, you see people, you start seeing their needs. Yep. And even from a selfish, air quotes, selfish perspective, serving others just does this connection. It does your own soul good, but like it yeah. also, it, it's the same. And that's a byproduct. That's not the end goal. The end goal is just to like, look, there's connection. There's room to give and it doesn't take you giving a lot for it to make a huge impact on somebody else. It doesn't take you giving a lot. It doesn't take you serving a lot. You know, it, it doesn't take a lot of time. Like, and yes, you know, when you see somebody else, we think, okay, cause I try to do this all the time. Like, I'm like, okay, I want to see them so they feel seen. Right. Obviously that, that's the point. But when we do truly see somebody like I did James, right. My neighbor across the street, like we're actually the ones that 
I feel like get the benefit out of it. So like when we do serve somebody else, there's like PhD studies that have been done about people that volunteer their time and that serve other people that, that show they're truly happier people than people that don't. And so like we actually get benefit from seeing people like we get some of that benefit. Yeah. You know, serving, serving other people, whatever that may be is everything that you're doing is all of your skill sets that you have just to build your little kingdom, just to build your company, just to build your brand? Or are you giving some of that to other people that could use it? And I honestly believe that that's that's another great way to see people is simply by serving them. Yeah. And the thing is, is like a lot of the times the people that are throwing, you say this in the book, by the way, so I'm just adopting your words, but like one of the things that people want to, they throw the fit, they do the march, they're doing it to be seen and not just from like a Instagram influencer type of, I want to be seen. Here's me selfie, but like they want acknowledgement. They feel so unseen. And a lot of people tap into that people feeling so unseen to sway them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it is, it is true. And, you know, I think it is the greatest need for a human is to be seen. And so, you know, you, you look at any violence that has happened over the last, you know, two or three years. And all of it started from somebody wanting to be seen, somebody wanting to be heard, you know? And so just know that's how important it is. People riot, people storm buildings, people do all of these things because they don't feel seen. And I'm just telling you, the more we see people, the more we can circumvent, I think, a lot of the chaos that we're surrounded with, you know? I mean, gosh, man, can you imagine if like, just for like one month a year, it's like the see human month and everyone on planet earth just decides to see somebody else that doesn't look like them, think like they vote like them, talk like them. I think like that could be the freaking answer to world peace. Oh, wow. Like you see me, uh, you're not calling me the enemy. Of course, there's going to be, you know, people that are bad. There's always, but I just think that most people aren't like most people have good intentions. They may not be coming out the right way, but even people that we vehemently disagree with, there's a reason why they believe what they believe. And most of that is based in true experiences that they live through. So that's how I like to approach a lot of these, a lot of seeing people that I don't agree with. Well, okay, I actually, let me hear really truly why it is they believe what they believe. And normally when I listen to understand, not to reply, and I'm really listening to understand, man, I actually, I start learning some stuff and I'm like, huh, I may not completely change my mind, but you've actually, by me seeing you, you've actually allowed me to see some things that I never would have seen before. Yeah. A lot of the reason why people want to do these actions that we see and say, man, they're, they're outrageous. They're crazy. They're what, you know, fill in the blank here is because of that need to be seen, but it's, it's yeah. deeper than that. It's that need to be seen is because they feel trapped. They feel stuck, yeah. which, which leads to the free part of the yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see people be human, see humans, free humans. So, you know, if we truly want to, um, that for our seeing to do, do the work and to actually see it move the needle, we have to, we have to risk a little bit. We have to get even more uncomfortable. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I love where you just ended the, the last C section is like, people do do these things. Uh, I mean, Martin Luther King said, um, uh, a riot is the language of the unheard. And again, that that's why people do what they do is because they don't feel seen. They don't feel heard. So they go. So now this next step is freeing people. Well, I mean, what good is it just to see somebody if you don't give them ample opportunity to find freedom? 
Um, and that's going to look a million different ways to a million different people. But when we take, I like to say our conviction, which is seeing people because we're convicted and move it from conviction to action, action following conviction frees people. Conviction alone won't free anybody. Conviction is just like, oh, look, I see that and I'm convicted about, about that, but I'm not going to do anything about that. But we've got a lot of convicted people on the internet. We've got a lot of convicted people on social media. We got a lot of convicted people that, you know, when, I mean, let's just go back to like the Afghanistan crisis, right? Uh, when Taliban takes over, we've got, you know, refugees and that, you know, that are escaping. And I just remember myself included, like, I'm like posting Instagram posts. Like I'm like, I'm passionate. I'm convicted about these refugees and they need asylum and yada, yada, yada. I'm convicted, right? How, how many, how many Afghan refugees have I sought out in Nashville to go take a meal to? Oh, guess what? There was conviction, but there was an action. So how in the world are we going to free people unless we actually place action behind our conviction? And listen, I'm not just talking about that. All of us are very convicted. We live in a very convict, conviction-filled society. But in order to free somebody, man, we're going to have to do the work. We're going to have to really get uncomfortable. We're going to have to get even closer than just seeing somebody one foot away. Sometimes freeing them is going to take lifting them up, like picking them up and moving them somewhere that they can't get on their own. And now it's now we're talking about doing even more work. So that's why, like I say, like three ways to share life beyond what distracts, divides and disconnects us is such a fluffy subtitle because it's like, no man, like, like I'm actually, you, you know, I'm asking you to do some work. Like this is going to be difficult. Um, because I, I am asking us to free people that we vehemently disagree with, like helping them, helping these people. Like this is where we've got to get back to um, in order to, you know, and, and, and we see it in moments of society. We see people freeing people um, w- without hesitation in the blink of an eye. And it's, it's always that human reaction of, of rescue. I tell a story at the beginning of the book of when I was getting my haircut at a barbershop and this a kid got kidnapped in the mall and all these people went chasing after him. All these dudes were like running. I mean, I just remember seeing my barber left the barbershop and they're all running. And, you know, looking back, cause I asked my mom to refresh my memory when I was writing the book about it. She was describing all of the, all of the men that chased this kidnapper. And, she, and when she was describing them, this is in the eighties in Georgia, like they all, they all look completely different. There was like skinny white dudes. There's like big black dudes. There's, there was some like Armenian guys. They were, you know, and why I told that story is because nobody like held a meeting like, Hey, like wh- who'd you vote for? Like, like let's, let's figure out um, like where, where we stand on all these issues before we come together and chase after the kidnapper. No, they just did. It was a reaction. It was a reflex that just came out of them. And that's what I think we've got to get back to, to freeing people is just doing it. Like stop, stop the, you know, let's figure out where we stand on issues and just run after the bad guys, right? Like let's just do, get back to the essence of our humanity, who we are. And I think that's, you know, the beginning of how we can start to free people. Yeah. For some people, they don't necessarily know, like they're thinking, okay, well, what do I need to be freed from? Or who who are these people I'm seeing? You know, again, they've not done enough seeing to see what some of these things are that these people need to be freed from, including ourselves. We, we ourselves need to be freed. We yeah. have... I feel like I've heard you say this at some point. Again, it kind of goes back to somewhat John Acuff's soundtracks book mentality where it's like, instead of saying, I have depression, you say, I'm in a season of depression. And there's a world of difference between the way those, the power of those words. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, you know, 
to John's soundtracks, I call them lies, agreements with lies that we play in our heads all the time. So yeah, I mean, gosh, the freedom that, that we ourselves can find first, of course, this is going really going back to the B part. It's like, we've got to find the freedom in ourselves before we can free anybody else. And that is going to be, a lot of that stuff is a lot simpler than we think it is, right? And, and you're right. Like people saying like, yes, I have depression or I have anxiety. I'm like, you're literally claiming that and like making an agreement with that in your life. Instead, change your language. I'm going through a season of anxiety. I'm going through a season of depression because a season has a beginning and a season has the end. And also finding truths that counteract the lies that you believe. And so, man, when you can even start helping other people do that, you know, the, the Insta Familia, my, my Instagram following, we love to raise money. Like I do these flash giving blitzes for 24 hours and it's crazy, dude. We raise hundreds of thousands of dollars and we give it away. And, you know, we, we just gave these Waffle House workers, you know, I don't know, $20,000 each. I can't remember. And so all of them suddenly found like, well, they, oh, they feel seen and they found a little bit of freedom. Like they're like, oh, well, I think all of them probably felt like they had a lot more freedom because, you know, suddenly I gave them money and they could buy cars and they could move out of hotels and move into apartments. But here's the thing. In order for them to be truly free, it's actually going to take more work from me than just giving them money. Like now I've got to step into a relationship. Now I've got to be uncomfortable. Now I'm like, I've got to be like, hey, you know, we'll call her Alice. Hey, Alice, actually, like, like, how about, how about we go, we save some money and we find a counselor and we work on some of these lies that you've been believing for a long time. The freeing piece is going to take more work than just the quick hits. Right. And so like, that's, that's what you're talking about. It's like, yeah, we've got to find that freedom in ourselves and then we're not going to be able to see anything, but oh my gosh, they're bound, they're bound, they're bound. How can we help all these people find freedom? You got to see them first, but then you can free them. Yeah. What are some of the other things that we need to be freed from or others need to be free from? And what are some of those like, again, I'm not trying to be all like, you know, pat answers about it, but like it helps us to just kind of like, I'm trying to get at that. Like you didn't want to walk across the street. You were like, what's he painting that for? And then your wife says, you know, pulls the light string and it's, well, why don't you ask him? There are some obvious things like that in terms of freedom that we are so used to, again, habitualizing ourselves to be blind about. Yes. Yeah. I mean, gosh, holy cow. Like, I mean, let's not even go outside the scope of our own four walls that we live in. Right. Like, I mean, like we can be thinking like the neighbors across the street. How about the very people that you live with your family members, whether it be your kids or your spouse or your parents, whatever it may be like, how about pulling the blinders up on those relationships? Just starting there, you know? I mean, it, even like I'm just feeling convicted myself. I'm like, man, like I think I've, I've, I've built up some bias against my 16 year old boy because he drives me so freaking crazy. So it's like, you know, actually like I'm not seeing him truly fully. I'm just seeing him through a little piece, right? Like it's almost like I've heard this a few weeks ago and it kind of makes sense to me. Like say you, like you're looking into a room outside of a house and you're only looking through one window. You can see everything. You can see everything in that room from that window, right? You've got your point of view, but there's another window looking into the same room, but you never look through that window. But one day you decide I'm going to walk around the house and you look in and now you actually, oh my gosh, there's a clock on that wall. I couldn't see that clock. Oh my gosh, like, like I didn't know that that brick was there. Oh my gosh, like, like I didn't know this was on the back of this sofa. And suddenly you, you're looking in the exact same room, but you're seeing everything completely different. And I think that we need to really do that in the relationships that we have. It's like, how can I look at this differently? How can I look at this, you know, from a different point of view? 
yeah, I, I think that's going to, you know, give us some freedom and maybe give our family members some freedom. And then, yeah, we, we can work on, you know, moving, you know, to coworkers and, to, you know, other people that we work with in a professional level. But no, man, like, I, I think the hardest thing to do is going to be starting like at square one with those people that you live with. Start there, you know, and I, I think uh, I think that's going to be super helpful. Yeah, man, there's so much more work to be done. And again, it's not an easy book to it's an easy book to read. It's not an easy book to live with. I think is a better way to put it, right? Oh, oh yeah, man. Yeah. But it's worth it. It's worth it. It's rewarding. I mean, as I was going through it, I was telling my friend about it and I was just like, you're going to have to get this book. And he was like, okay. And so, so I guess I'm saying that to everybody that's listening right now too, right? <laughs> I like that. But it's just out. Carlos, it's been awesome talking with you. I want to point people like, what are some of the best places? You're everywhere, but like, and you got even, you've even got your own, your podcast. You know, let's do the traditional. Okay. This conversation is winding down. Let's tell everybody where to continue the conversation. Yes, absolutely. You know, where I'm doing most of my conversating is either my podcast called Human Hope or my Instagram, Lowswit, L-O-S-W-H-I-T. That's where I'm, I'm talking every single day on Instagram. I'm trying to have these hard conversations in grace filled ways. I've got my email list. I'm trying to grow. Like we're all trying to grow our email list. You know, what if Instagram blows up one day? You know, and, and that's called the mass familia list. If you go to just my website, you can uh, sign up for that. And every, every week on that, you know, I tell people every week I'm sending like, you know, five things that I'm, you know, I'm taking my, our, our good buddy John's thing there. He does five ideas to shout about. I'm just doing a couple links of things that I love. And, um, yeah, so that's there too. And then Twitter. I'm there. I tell people Twitter and Instagram is like, when it comes to Carlos, it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Like I've got like, like Instagram, if you want to feel light and fluffy and you want me to like, you know, love you. But at Twitter, I, if I get mad, I go over there. Like I get off Instagram and I, you know, go complain. So nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. And then it'll all go away and we'll just go back to sitting out on the porch and having some sweet tea and having some conversations. Right. I love it. Uh, awesome. Carlos, great talking with you. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, I'll link up to all the things you just said in the show notes so everybody can find you and keep checking in and talking. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Carlos Whitaker as much as I did. I highly encourage you to go pick up the book. It is a great read. And to definitely follow Carlos on social. He is an encouragement. He doesn't shy away from tackling hard things and issues. But again, like he said, he really does live out that not standing on positions, but walking with people. It makes a lot of sense. And he encouraged me to try and do more of that myself. So I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. If you found this entertaining, helpful in any way, I would love for you to share this conversation with somebody that you know needs to hear it. Hit that share button in your podcast player app of choice. Make sure to check out the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com. Follow the show if you're not already getting regular episodes delivered automatically to you. Thanks again for sharing. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next episode.